I thought I had time. So, I want that one over there. It's the right height. Can you see this online? Send a little note saying, yes, he's an idiot, and I can see it. Oh. Seriously, when I was running down the hall because I heard the music change, then the microphone came falling off, and I didn't even get a chance to put the gloves on. So where'd the other one go? There. This is insane. So here's what I'm doing today. The first thing is I'm wearing a T-shirt and shorts, I mean pants, because I'm not about to let you see my one pack. <laughs> I've done a lot. Now, there are pictures of Photoshopped of me and Stallone out there. He's got it going on. I do not. So I'm not about to stand up here and undignify the moment because I'm about to preach about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? Dress like this. That's the one thing. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking of John Morgan on, the, on Morgan and Morgan and the billboards with Morgan out there. And he's got a big smile on his face. And he's got a 28-year-old male bodybuilder body in his head. So you, you've seen those. No, no, that's not what you have under here. <sighs> the other thing I'm going to do today is we're going to see if we can't connect Rocky Balboa with the greatest public intellectual ever lived, the great Apostle Paul. <laughs> we're going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's what we're going to do. So here we are at the movies. We have brand new projectors, so the image is nice and clean. I'm wearing a pair of very hot, whatever you call these things underneath here, and trying to catch my breath. <laughs> the question we're going to ask today as we explore Rocky and as we listen to Paul talk the question we're going to ask is a question about relative certainty that comes from within about my purpose in life. What certainty does Rocky portray? And even more importantly, how do we get into the mind and heart and soul of the great Apostle Paul to see how certain he is about what? About the reality of the resurrection. And it's going to really matter that Paul makes it clear to us where he stands. We're going to let Rocky help us understand it. We have three more movies, four weeks in a row. We're not telling you what they are, so I'm not wearing a costume like this again. <laughs> um, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this morning just a few things about Paul. We're going to read some clips from, uh, two clips from Paul's letter to the Christians in a little city in Greece called Philippi. But Paul is in Ephesus when he's writing. In fact, he's probably in jail in Ephesus. Ephesus, the ruins are still there. They're on the very western ed edge of modern-day Turkey, right up against the Aegean Sea. And it's probably two, three hundred miles by the crow, but longer around, either way, by water or by land, to get from Philippi down to Ephesus where Paul is. And Paul is in prison. He's in prison. That's important to remember. Why is he in prison? <clears throat> because everywhere he goes, he manages to make everybody mad. Everywhere he goes, everybody's mad. Jewish people get mad at Paul because Paul is saying, 
I now understand all of what we've been hoping for and all of the traditions and rules that you have been living by, which are all okay, those don't actually accomplish the purpose of being rescued by God. In the Messiah Jesus, who's resurrected from the dead, that's where our rescue comes from. So some Jews decide to follow Jesus, but many are so furious at Paul, they literally want to kill him. Now, here's what happens with non-Jewish people. And in a non-pejorative way, we would call them Gentile pagan people. Pagan meaning they have multiple gods. And here's what Paul would say to them. He'd say, none of those things that you're saying are gods are gods. In fact, you just made them with your own hands. They're not even alive. And guess what those people did? They got mad too. In fact, <clears throat> they thought Paul, listen to this, they thought he was an atheist because he didn't believe in those gods. And they really didn't understand this thing about what is this about eating the body and blood? And they were really confused about that. But they didn't like him, the non-Jewish people, because they thought he was atheist. And in the city of Ephesus, there was a temple, a huge temple. The ruins are still there today to the goddess Artemis. And she was the goddess of <clears throat> human fertility, amongst other things. And they'd be chanting, Artemis, like Rocky, 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 USA, USA. They're chanting Artemis. And Paul says, she's not real. Paul's in jail because he keeps making everybody mad. And he's in jail. And here's the other thing that really happens to him. His heart is profoundly broken. You, if you've studied the great apostle Paul, and most of us haven't, that's okay then you know that what happened to him is that on top of all of this, which he knew was coming every time he went to the city, something else happened to him. It's not completely clear, but his heart got crushed to the point in this letter to his friends in Philippi, he says, I despair of life. He is in a deep, profound funk, wishing maybe that he had never been born and wondering if all of his work was in total vain. Why? Because his friends in the Greek city of Corinth had totally rejected him. He goes to Corinth, tells them about Jesus. They become followers of Jesus, both Jewish people in Corinth and non-Jewish Gentile people in Corinth. They, <clears throat> could you get me a glass of water? I'm still not recovered from, they, they t say, we don't want you anymore, Paul. Don't come back. You're not, you are no good. He's crushed. I got it, cat. Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> so here's Paul. His people, whom he loves in the city of Corinth, have said, You are trash. And literally, he's in jail in Ephesus, brokenhearted and despairing, and beginning to be profoundly uncertain about his purpose, which was to tell the world about the resurrected Jesus. Is this still a real thing? He's wondering, is it all in vain? But Paul fights his way through as he reflects on the implications of the resurrection. He realizes Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is resurrected and the power, the implications of the power of what God can do. The, the living God who raises people from the dead, even me, Paul, rotting away in prison. And yes, it was worth it. And here's the way in the six sentences in to 
to this letter he writes to these people in Philippi, look at what Paul says. He has fought and fought and fought, and he gets to the place where he says this. He's writing to them, which is, of course, an expression of what's going on inside of him. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until the day of Messiah Jesus. Notwithstanding the uncertainty, notwithstanding the profound rejection, notwithstanding yet again having everybody in the city mad at him and in jail in Ephesus, all that, he still writes this letter while he's in jail back to his friends 200 miles away saying, God will get us to the finish line. So maybe uncertainty in your life begins to creep in as you think about Paul's circumstances. Who knew? Maybe you thought like I thought, that Paul was sort of out there, knew what it was going to take, and he just kept going. I did not know until recently, a couple of years ago, that Paul was profoundly despairing of life itself because of how he was treated in, way, in ways that people can't put together completely. It's just not clear from history. But something happened in that city of Corinth that broke his heart. And yet, look at it. God, who's the big doing the heavy lifting. God does the, all the hard work. God will get us across the finish line. And when he writes, he says, you the God who began a good work in you, he's talking to the whole family of faith in Philippi. So it means you and me individually, but it also means us as a family. God will get us to the finish line, Paul is saying to them, and God will get you and me to the finish line. He has something for us, and he will get us there. And it, we do our part, but God does the heavy lifting. And Paul sits down on top of this as he writes this letter. It's a thank you letter for some money. They sent money to help him while he was in prison. But he, he can't not talk about the reality of the resurrection and the power. So let's, however, now move from Paul, who's clearly struggling with uncertainty. Let's see how uncertain Rocky is. Your boy up there, man. For me? Yeah. You should. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look for you, Jack. Get on up there and see him. For me? Yeah. You can't rock, right? Yeah. Right on, man. got something for me? Yeah, there was some guy here from Miles Juggins looking for you. They need sparring partners for Apollo Creed. Put me on. There's a car. When was it here? About an hour ago. They'll probably look for sparring partners for Creed, you know? I said that before, you dumb Jago! You know, I've been coming in for six years, and six years you've been sticking it to me. I want to know how come. You don't want to know. Yeah, I want to know how come. You want to know? I want to know how! Okay, I'm going to tell you. Because you had the talent to become a good fighter. And instead of that, you became a leg breaker. So I'm cheap, second-rate loan shark. To living? It's a waste of life. So what kind of shape is Rocky in? How much is he enjoying certainty? Not much. So there, the actor's name, Burgess Meredith, the trainer is there in the gym, and Rocky had worked out in the gym, but Rocky has put aside the, the talent he has as a boxer, according to the trainer, and he's a leg breaker. He works for a loan shark. You owe me money. I'm sending Rocky in to take care of you if you don't pay me back. That's, he, and he says, it's a living. He's smoking a cigarette. He's strutting with a fedora on, got his leather jacket. 
He's lost. Rocky is lost. And I would say that Rocky is, has zero clarity about his purpose. And he's simply making his way through each day. It's a living. He, I would say, is hopeless. There's not much for him to look forward to in his life. <clears throat> that's, that's who Rocky is. Rocky doesn't know what's next. And it appears he doesn't care. He's just sort of shuffling through with no clarity at all whatsoever. The people who have imprisoned Paul have pushed him to the edge as well. A detail or two or more about Paul. Paul is in Ephesus. He was there probably from 53 A.D. to 56 A.D., not meant to be a history lesson. It's just a long period of time. You want to let him be a person who's living in a city talking. Here's how Paul set himself up in Ephesus. As he would go in every city, the first place he would go would be to a Jewish synagogue. And he would try to talk to Jewish people about Jesus being the fulfillment of all the messianic promises that all the Jewish folks had been waiting for. In every single city, they kick him out. <laughs> So this is what he did. He gets kicked out of the synagogue in Ephesus, and he sets up shop because Paul was a craftsman. He made tents and other things out of leather. And he set up shop, and he had a place where he was making tents. He didn't want to be a financial obligation to anybody, so he made a living. And here's the other thing he did in Ephesus. He rented out a performance hall some kind of small theater. And he would work some on the tents and he'd go over there, didn't talk in the synagogue anymore because he got thrown out, and he would sit in that performance hall and visit with people over and over and over again. And there he would talk with them and they'd just have calm conversation about Paul and what he was trying to say and how he could develop his ideas that the gods were all made by the human beings that are turning around and worshiping. And there is one living God and then he would use the Hebrew scriptures, the scroll, and show people how all of what happened in Jesus was what everyone was expecting if they read the books and they read these scrolls and they read what we call the Old Testament. Read it. Jesus is the fulfillment of it all. And he just does this day in and day out and day in and day out until one day in Ephesus, a riot broke out. Now, we, we'd had riots in the streets in in the, the United States in the last month. Riots happen when people get mad. And again, they were mad at him, as I've already said, because nobody liked what he was saying. Everybody thought he was, a, he was trying to undo their way of life. Now, yes, there were some Jewish people who decided to follow Jesus in Ephesus, and there were some non-Jewish pagan Gentile people who, who started to follow Jesus in Ephesus. And the, the miracle is these people from dramatically different socioeconomic backgrounds and cultures they began to do life together. Why? Because Paul told them why. It's because you are taking on the Messiah and you're beginning to think about your relationships, not the way human beings divide themselves up, but the way that God loves you all the same. And people from diverse cultures and backgrounds began to do life together in the early church all over the Mediterranean, including the city of Ephesus. So that's what Paul is doing. That's how he's operating. But, like I said, something went really wrong in Corinth and broke his heart. But he's making his way. He's fighting, if you will, to get to a place where he can trust in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And there he is. 
in prison. Just a word about the way prison worked. Paul had not really been charged with anything yet, but in the ancient world, if you were arrested, they throw you in prison, but nobody did anything for you. They didn't give you anything to eat, no, no clothing, no bedding, no anything. So Paul's friends were able, we think, sooner or later to get in and help him. They let people help when they came, but there you are. You're just locked up with nothing. And you know what? If Paul's sitting in that cold cell and he's hungry and he's thirsty and his people across the Aegean in Corinth have told him, we don't want you anymore, you can begin to see how he would be fighting to keep his clarity, to maintain his sense of purpose. Because his whole thing since he met Jesus was to go and tell other people about Jesus. Paul was an extra special person. You and I, are, we're regular people. I don't know how to break this to you, but you ain't that special. <laughs> You're not special. I'm not special. Paul was special. He had a really important place to play in the movement of the Christian faith. But everybody else just goes about their regular lives doing the things that God wants us to do with purposed certainty. But Paul was fighting to maintain it. Another thing that might have been the reason that things went south for him in Corinth, listen to this. Paul calls out a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. Uh, yes, I know you heard me and you're not sure that I said what I said, but that's what I said. Okay? He calls that out, that situation out. He does it in a letter. He doesn't, I don't know that he did it in person. He writes about it. And here's what could have been what happened in the city of Corinth. These Christian people had been told that they're now free because of Jesus and because of forgiveness so they can do whatever they want to do. Fancy word for that, libertinism. I can do whatever I want. Why? Because I've been forgiven in Jesus. And Paul says, yes, you are free and you have been forgiven in Jesus. But that's way outside the lines. And so maybe these people pushed Paul back away because when he confronted some of them as they got outside the, the paint, they got outside the white lines, he said, no, 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 come on back in here. That's not, that's not the way it goes. Maybe that's what, part of what started their rebuff of him, their rejection of him. Don't know. Nobody knows for sure, but what is clear is he despairs of life, as he says in chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. But he keeps fighting, Paul does. He keeps blasting away. He rallies. Paul rallies. And here we see it. He puts his trust in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus, and he writes these words in chapter 3 of the book to the Christians in Philippi. Fighting through all of the uncertainty, but knowing that the resurrection is real, I don't have it all together. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. Remember, the goal is to finish. But I press on. Paul doesn't quit. I press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul rallies. Guess what? Rocky does too. Clip number two, Rocky. I know about that stuff. What do you know about advertising? Huh? Hey, you can make money off my name, make it, okay? I'm gonna take a shot. Hey, you wanna help me off with this?
the kill. I know you wanted to hear that music, didn't you? So am I going to pop some one-arm push-ups now, am I? <laughs> Stallone did that. I mean, nobody was doing it for him. Uh, and if you go to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which is where those stairs are, at the bottom of the stairs is the statue of Rocky like this with William Penn on his horse across the way. I, somehow we've clashed our cultures here, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, Rocky doesn't quit. He begins to discover some... Per so fighting. Let it be a metaphor only. The real power is in the presence of the resurrected Messiah. But we have to fight. We have to fight through it. So uncertainty is not uncommon. Fighting through it is a part of what we can see that Paul does. Not on his own strength. Paul repeatedly says it's because of the power of the resurrection that I am able to keep moving forward. Now, we don't want to press the metaphor with the movie too far because it's self-sufficiency at some point. However, Rocky then becomes a team player at the end, as we're about to see. This is the bloody finish of the battle with Apollo, Pre uh, Apollo Creed, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Rocky doesn't quit. Apollo Creed doesn't quit. The great apostle Paul doesn't quit. Let's watch the way this movie ends. <laughs> Oh, he tagged him. The champion got a left to the ribs, his he right ribs. Oh, oh, this has been a tremendous. Okay, champ. I'm okay, I'm okay. I can't see nothing. Gotta open my eye. Cut me, man. I don't wanna do it. Oh, cut me. Try it. Cut it. My God. You're bleeding inside, champ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop the fight. Hey, you know ain't stopping nothing, man. I'm gonna stop nothing. You stop this fight, I'll kill you. I'm going. Right side, his ribs. <laughs> oh, 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 oh
be no rematch. Ain't gonna be no rematch. Go on one. Ain't gonna be no rematches. Yo, Adrian! So what happens is it, it takes a team to get Rocky there. That's to make the metaphor work a little better. It's about her, Paulie, her, Adrian's brother. It's about Mickey, the trainer. It's about Rocky working hard. It's about his girlfriend or wife. I can't remember. I watched two or three or four of these Rockies. They go to about 17 of them. And um, Rocky doesn't quit. Apollo Creed doesn't quit. Both of them said, there ain't going to be no rematch. They don't want any more of it. Paul doesn't quit either. And here's this poignant picture, poignant, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not what I meant to say, a poignant look into Paul's heart and soul as he's at the very end of his life. He knows he's going to be martyred. He writes to his protege, Timothy, and he uses an athletic and even a fighting metaphor to describe his experience. Paul understands that the resurrection of the Messiah Jesus trumps everything. He understands that because Jesus is the God who makes the dead come back to life again, Paul never bails. Paul stays in it. And as he's teaching this young man named Timothy, watch how he writes about his own life. This comes from the second letter of Paul to Timothy. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Crown, fight, race clear metaphor to Olympic Games that happened in that part of the world. And what happens to the person when they cross the finish line? And Paul can see his life is ending and he's poured himself into telling the world about the resurrected Jesus. And he knows that he's going to lose his life sooner or later because people don't like hearing from him. But he gives it everything he has so I thought you might want to see it again, how he started his letter to the Philippians. Let's go and look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul, despairing earlier than when he wrote, writes to Timothy, broken, wondering, is it all in vain? These people whom I loved, they've thrown me out. But I'm confident of this. That he, that is the almighty God of the universe, the enthroned king, Jesus, he who began this good work in you, my brothers and sisters in Philippi, and also self-reflective, me, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul fights. I want to give you a way to fight. I want you to fight for relationship the way Paul did. And I'm going to make it real specific. I want you to realize that the implication of the resurrection makes a difference for you and me right in our home.
wherever you are in life, if you live alone, if you have kids everywhere, if your kids are gone, if you, your kids are gone, and whatever, it doesn't matter. All of us are a part of a family. You may not live with your family, but you have family. And here's what you do. If you want to be a resurrection person in the world, if you want to make this family of faith an authentic family where real relationship and real transformation taking place, this is what I want you to do. Make this very... I told you earlier, we're not special. We're not, except we are in the relationships that are a part of our family. You are very special. You are the apple of somebody's eye, and they of yours. And where we fight for relationship, we go home and figure out. I'm, in my men's group that I lead on Thursday mornings, it was father, son, brother, husband, grandson, son-in-law, that kind of stuff. And what we did is we went around the room and we said, how can I fight for relationship in my home in regular, ordinary ways? And it was like popcorn in the room. All these ways that the men were kicking around. We didn't have time to go around with everybody. But finding ways that I can see what I'm already doing, and it's me throwing myself into on purpose, intentionality. How am I being a resurrection person right where I live? And you can do it. You're being challenged to do it. There are other arenas in life where we work, in the church family, in our social lives. But I want you to pick just your home life, family life, your relationship to other people. And men and women, we, we, are, we relate to people. We, we are related to them. That's where I want you to think about how can I right now today see something I'm already doing, one really awesome, excellent thing that's already a part of how I'm relating in my family, and say, well, wait a minute. That's not because of my power. I'm, I'm being energized by the presence of God the Spirit, and therefore I can keep doing this. Because you do your part, and I do my part, but God does the heavy lifting. You do your part. I'm going to do my part. We're all going to do our part, but God always is going to do the heavy lifting. It's God that gets us across the finish line. Look at the text. He will finish. Finish in your home by picking a way to, on purpose, start something new or recognize that what you're already doing, which I'm guessing is probably is more the case than the other, you're already doing it. And connect it to your relationship with God and saying, God, you put me here on purpose so I can make a difference that matters to you. Fight for relationship at home. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you that you have made all things new again by your spirit. As we sang this morning, beginning in the beginning, you breathed life into reality by creating the universe and creating our world. And you breathe life into us. And so help us to be people who see your power at work. And right now today, specifically, knowing that it's possible to get lost, there's purpose in our lives. There's certainty in our lives when we on purpose Love people and our families with your love. Help us to find one new way or help us to see what we already do is what it is that you want us to do. All of this in the name of the enthroned king of the universe, Jesus. Amen.